Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Hey everyone, there is so much going on around the subject of caries prevention, caries treatment, and caries stabilization. It is just mind boggling. It's so exciting. The opportunity to shift away from the surgical model of treatment, the opportunity to think that we can shift away from that model into something that provides preventive care that's a little less invasive or education along with preventive care that really helps patients understand the process of disease and understands how disease happens and what their contributing factors are. This gets me so excited about really improving the longevity of the dentition, reducing the harm that patients experience, right? Those there's a lot of patients with dental phobias and dental fears because of the trauma involved in having restorations placed. So if there's just a different way that we can look at the whole process and the way that we care for patients, that just lights me up. And when I think about the paradigm shift that's occurring across the spectrum of dentists and hygienists out there, where they're really thinking about, okay, let's talk about the contributing factors to decay. Let's talk about low impact dentistry, let's least invasive ways of dealing with decay and treating our patients, thinking long-term over their entire lifespan of how we can preserve enamel and keep the dentition intact. Let's talk about this stuff. What are, what are our options? What do we have? And what can we do? This is what we're going to talk about. This is what's exciting in dentistry. Putting the preventive model in the center of care, we definitely need the surgical approach to care for some patients and some situations and some teeth. But if we exhausted all the components of the preventive strategies that we know of before we approach the surgical aspect, that's what I'm questioning. Are we taking the preventative approach first? Have we exhausted all the education that we can exhaust? Have we really gone down the road of the least invasive possible way to see where this patient is on their risk level and to see where their treatment plan is going to go? Let's have a conversation about caries treatment and the paradigm shift that is going on when we are caring for patients. It's important to know the historical method, which was a surgical approach to caries diagnosis and treatment. So the historical method, we would diagnose decay, place a restoration, or if the caries was too extensive, we would perform an extraction. And in this model, there's no treatment for the bacteria that remain in the biofilm. Now, a paradigm shift takes decades and lots and lots of research. We are seeing a paradigm shift in how we manage caries. We're moving away from the surgical and restorative approach to care towards disease management and a more preventive approach to how we manage caries, which creates an opportunity for dental hygienists to really create the preventive side of the dental office and really deepen 
and be the change agents and charge forward in this process. In order to really understand the paradigm shift, we have to first consider the surgical approach to care that has gone on since the beginning of time. Restorations have no impact on changing the bacteria or the biofilm, what the constructs of the biofilm is. So the risk remains even after surgical interventions. Surgical approach to care has limited lifespan, these fillings will not last forever, and they will need to be replaced, which at that point removes additional tooth structure in the process. We also know that when there's a restoration placed in the mouth, there's an increase in biofilm retention in those areas at the restoration sites, which can increase the risk of caries and also have the potential for a periodontal risk. The surgical approach could weaken the tooth and increase the risk of fracture, or nerve issues and eventual tooth loss for the patient. Keep in mind that the surgical approach also carries with it increased risk just by having the procedure, local anesthesia, exposure, time, and the cost. Surgical approach to care can impact the patient experiences related to dental care and reduce their participation in lifelong preventative care, which can create poor oral health outcomes for our patients. So what do we know? We know that dental caries is an infectious disease, that an infant's mouth is sterile at birth, that open carious lesions and poor oral hygiene increase the bacteria and the pathogens in the oral cavity. We also know that reducing the strep mutans load in a pregnant woman can impact the infants and that they are affected by parents and siblings after they are born. So if we target the management of the biofilm of the parent, we can go a long way at shifting the outcome. We can change the oral flora in the mom even before the baby is born. This is a prevention paradigm shift. The other thing I just want to make clear is that this is going to take a team approach to have this paradigm shift in prevention. The success depends on the team approach to care, which involves the physicians, the medical assistants, the dentists, the hygienists, the dental assistants, the teachers, the school nurses, individuals in the community. Know your choices for alternative care and spread the word. So some of the methods for caries treatment and prevention we'll go over. Preventive care may reverse the caries process and the surgical method could be avoided. This is our motivating factor. When we're talking about prevention or education, let's talk about the considerations for care. We wanna know our patient's age, health conditions, medications, what is their caries imperial risk, what is their history of tobacco use or substance use? What are their cultural or language barriers? What is their dental and health literacy? How about their nutrition? What is their exposure to fluoride? How is their access to care? And also behavioral considerations. And there's so many more, but these are some of the basic considerations for care of patients in this preventive model. When you're considering using an alternative preventive strategy, Ask yourself these important questions. What are my patient's risk levels and concerns? What is my patient's ability to use a preventive agent? What's the buffering of the saliva? How about the antibacterial activity? The saliva flow of my patient? The patient compliance? The contact time and commitment that I need for this approach? I'll briefly talk about fluoride, but I have many episodes on fluoride, and obviously fluoride is one of the biggest paradigm shifts in prevention that we've, we've talked about many, many times. The action of fluoride is that it's a topical effect 
At low levels, it inhibits demineralization of the tooth surface and it enhances remineralization of the tooth surface. After several hours at low levels, there can be a profound effect on the remineralization and demineralization process. At high levels, fluoride can inhibit bacterial enzymes. Now the CDC's position of the use of fluoride in caries prevention, they strongly support water fluoridation, they strongly support fluoride in toothpaste and rinses, fluoride supplements, and professional application of fluoride gels, varnishes, and paste. The key to fluoride exposure is that it comes from multiple sources. Water fluoridation remains a major source of caries reduction in the United States, and it's recommended by all the major health organizations. So if your patient is already being exposed to fluoride and there needs to be additional interventions, what are our options? Problem is that dental decay is the most common chronic disease in children. It's also important to know that 80% of the decay happens in 20% of the population. Remember, I told you it's maternally derived for the most part with the streptococcus mutans. The paradigm shift from surgical management to medical management can be cost-effective, beneficial, and sustainable. We have butt our heads against a lot of public health initiatives because they're just not sustainable, even though we know that they can work. So this shift in carry stabilization the fact that it is cost-effective, beneficial, and sustainable provides me with a lot of excitement that we can really make a dent in the decay rates of our citizens. So just a couple of basics that you have to know. The critical pH is considered the pH at the point where demineralization process begins. And the patient should be able to understand this. We should be educating our patient about pH and how it affects the demineralization and remineralization process. We should also inform our patient that there's three peaks in the lifespan where they are higher risk of developing caries, age four to eight, age 11 to 19, and over the age of about 55. Using low impact dentistry, that's the term we're using, demands respect of the original tissues. We are being the least invasive possible to treat the disease. So a non-invasive approach is education and behavior modification. That should be your first line of approach every time in carry stabilization. A microinvasive procedure in carry stabilization would be something like sealants or SDF. A minimally invasive procedure would be something like a glass ionomer. And keep in mind that you can do combination treatments of all of these things. The goal is to do no harm and to use these interventions based on effectiveness, safety, and feasibility using the clinical considerations of care to your patient. Now, sealants is something that you all learn how to do. They've been placing sealants for a long time. We know that about 90% of all posterior teeth will eventually develop a carious lesion in the occlusal table in the permanent dentition. So we know the benefits of sealants. It's also important to know that about 46% of all of the primary molars will eventually develop a carious lesion. And because of the age of the patient and they're in that high caries risk time, remember I told you three peaks, four to eight is one of those peaks. So it's, it's really important to also consider the primary dentition. 
Dental sealants prevent about 80% of the decay that takes place in those posterior teeth. Here's what the literature tells us. It reduced non-cavitated lesions that eventually progress to decay by 71%. It also reduces the bacterial levels within the cavitated lesions. How do we determine which teeth to seal? So you're going to use detection and make the determination if there's presence of cavitation. If there's no cavitation in the occlusal surface, a sealant can be placed. If there is cavitation in the occlusal surface, what are your options? The treatment is dependent on detection. So if there's cavitation, you can do SDF, a SMART restoration, which is a silver modified, a traumatic restorative technique, or an ITR. And we'll go over these. Now, the definition of a cavitated lesion is a break in the surface. And that can be limited to the enamel, but can have signs of undermined enamel. It can help you detect if the dentin is involved. Use your explorer to gently remove the plaque. Check for breaks in the surface. Evaluate the smoothness or roughness of the surface and assess for current sealant integrity and retention. Let's talk about povidone iodine. So what is it? It's an antiseptic rinse used in healthcare to fight disease. It's bactericidal, which should make all dental hygienists excited. And it's widely available, so it's cost-effective and sustainable. What povidone iodine does is it targets specific oral bacteria. This is what makes it bactericidal. So the P. gingivalis and the Fusobacterium nucleatum, it helps with tissue healing and is found to reduce pathogens. It's so easy to apply to a patient. You take a drop, you paint it on the teeth, with a cotton tip applicator and you cover it with fluoride varnish and away you go. Now those two bacteria are strongly linked to biofilm production. Real easy for patient compliance as well. A semi-monthly application shows about a 42% reduction in caries. And when you combine that with fluoride varnish, that jumps to about 62% according to the literature. The most beneficial uses of povidone iodine is for early childhood caries. It reduces the strep mutans to assist in the reduction of caries. In periodontal disease, it increases gingival health by having improved results of non-surgical periodontal therapy. And it's a great post-operative regimen for your patients to reduce swelling, Increase tissue healing by reducing the number of pathogens that are present in the mouth. And patients are very compliant with this if they're given proper instruction. It's safe for children. It doesn't alter the taste in the mouth. It does not stain the teeth. And it's an easy compliance factor for patients. And what's exciting for me is that it's easy for them to find and purchase. And it's very inexpensive. You want to keep in mind that it's contraindicated in patients with thyroid disease. But outside of that, Povidone iodine is beneficial to all the patients that you treat with higher risk. Let's talk about SDF, so silver diamine fluoride. It's approved for use to treat dental hypersensitivity in the United States, and we use it off-label to treat dental decay. It's used as an alternative to dental treatment. It will arrest the areas of decay in patients that are unable to have traditional care. It's best if it's used in an area with direct access capabilities. It's much more difficult to access the interproximal regions, but it can be done if you use some unwaxed floss to achieve the contact in those areas. It should be used on teeth that are asymptomatic, causing no discomfort to the patient. 
The biggest side effect of SDF is that it stains the teeth in the area where carious lesion has been detected. So as a healthcare provider, you should be careful during the application process. It should not be used on patients who are allergic to silver. Keep in mind, less is better. Less than a drop is needed for an entire quadrant of the mouth. When you're placing SDF, you're going to place Vaseline on your patient's lips to help prevent staining because it can stain tissue areas for about seven to 10 days, and patients do not want to have that stain on their lips. You're going to dry the teeth off with your air water syringe or gauze if the patient is sensitive. Isolate the area with cotton rolls due to the taste of the SDF. You're going to use an ultrafine micro brush and just apply the SDF and let it sit for one minute. Scrub it right into that little carious lesion and then follow it up with fluoride varnish. It's easy to apply, it's cost effective, it's time efficient, and it can be done in a wide variety of settings. So this is so great in a public health setting, definitely in a dental office as well. SDF and the use of other additional at-home caries preventive agents can have a significant impact on the progression of disease. So when do we use SDF? Silver is antimicrobial, the ammonia is a solvent, and the fluoride is a remineralization. So this is a good alternative treatment when restorations are not an option. Antimicrobial properties of silver with the remineralization of fluoride is just a win-win for our patients. The fluoride reacts with the hydroxyapatite and generates calcium fluoride. So when would you use SDF on a patient? If you have a patient with moderate to high caries risk or even low caries risk patients, a carious lesion that can't be treated immediately, or an area that's a difficult to treat lesion, a challenging behavior patient or medical consideration. Maybe you have a bed bound patient in a nursing home or patients with special needs, a treatment setting without air, water, or suction. Sometimes this occurs for our patients. You would also use it to defer more extensive treatment or even prevent this treatment. There are some disadvantages to using SDF. It has a slight metallic taste. It does darken the carious lesion over 24 hours. Keep in mind the structure and the function of the tooth is not restored in the process. So that's also a drawback. You don't wanna dilute the SDF when you use it. If the surface of the decay did not turn black, the silver did not bind, which reduces the antimicrobial action. It's interesting, so SDF is clear. So if you get it on the counter, it will stay in the counter and never use a light after application of SDF because it will turn the whole thing black. The SDF only turns black in a carious lesion, and that's associated with the silver ion, the calcium fluoride, and the decaying surfaces. You also have the option of a glass ionomer cement, which is biocompatible, hydrophilic, forms a chemical bond, it's karyostatic, which is exciting, and it bonds to the tooth. The glass ionomer cement releases fluoride, which reduces the risk of failure, and it can actually jumpstart the healing right in the regions where we need it. So the glass ionomer reduces bacteria within the oral cavity, it aids in the remineralization process, and it can be recharged with fluoride application. So fantastic. The last thing I'll talk about is a smart restoration, the silver modified atraumatic restorative technique. The characteristics of a SMART restoration is that it's efficient, it's preventive by design, it has a low cost, 
it's antimicrobial, and it has a remineralization effect, all the things we're looking for in caries arresting. Never use a curing light on SDF or you'll turn everything black, as I said. There are two techniques for a smart restoration. There's a same-day smart restoration where you fully saturate the lesion and then immediately apply the restoration. And then the two-day smart restoration has multiple appointments. You pumice the teeth to be treated, you clean out the area, you apply the SDF, you send the patient home. You have the patient return, you ensure that there's caries arrest, and then you place a glass ionomer. You instruct the patient to have two days of a soft diet in order to allow for curing. What's good about the two-day application is that it masks the SDF so that grayness doesn't shine through. These are just some of the things occurring in this paradigm shift. We're getting alternative ways to thinking about and looking at Harry's disease. Paradigm shifts are slow, but the prevention model is proving to be effective and noteworthy. The more we consider this as an approach to care, and we're dealing with not just the structural integrity of the teeth, but the biofilm and the components of the biofilm the remineralization process, we will be able to arrest some of these areas more effectively and prolong the dentition. I want you to strongly consider how you can make a positive impact in this paradigm shift. I would invite you to send me any questions that you need answered. Questions come up when you listen to this podcast. I have a link in the show notes, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Also, I would appreciate a review if you have time to leave one. Thank you so much.